Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. I am so excited to talk with all of you. You know, in my lifetime, and many of you saw my picture of me on my Harley Davidson once upon a time riding in a parade. Now, here's what I want to say about that. That will be one of the few times you would ever see me without a helmet on my motorcycle. It was posing for a picture. But today, I want to talk with you, millions of people suffering from traumatic, uh, traumatic brain injury each year in the United States. But there is new hope now. Dr. Dr. Yuma Heder is joining me here today. This is an amazing journey from Pakistan to Texas, revolutionizing the diagnosis and treatment of TBI. Um, Doctor, it's so great to have you here. I showed a picture of myself on my Harley Davidson the other day, and I got a lot of blowback from it because I did not have a helmet on. Now, I will tell you this. That is one of the few times I would not have a helmet on a motorcycle just between you and me. I was literally posing for the picture, but something very serious. This is serious. And yet, once upon a time, there was no hope for this. Can you tell us what are most common causes and what are you most hopeful about? The vast majority of the patients who suffer TBI would go undiagnosed and they would go untreated. And as a result, they would appear to be physically fit, but they would be living with permanent brain injuries that were personal, professional, and social lives on a daily basis. But today, we are fortunate uh, to be living in this uh, century that uh, now we are raising the awareness about traumatic brain injury, uh, and and everyone from everyday American of uh, screening the patients with traumatic brain injury and then providing them with immediate care of their symptoms and directing them uh, for uh, rehabilitative care. Uh, along with those, along with education, along with awareness, then we are also fortunate to have advanced brain imaging techniques such as diffusion tensor imaging. Diffusion tensor imaging or DTI is an advanced brain imaging that has enabled us to see the damage that were not able to see before that. Uh, the first generation brain imaging techniques uh, were not advanced enough. They were not sensitive enough to look at the damage that happens at the microscopic level. Uh, too often, patients with true traumatic brain injury were erroneously dismissed because of negative CT or MRI scan. But now we have diffusion tensor imaging, which is crucial uh, for a patient for a traumatic brain injury because it can clearly demonstrate that the damage exists and it is instrumental in providing the targeted treatment, rehabilitation, and future care needs for these patients. You know, doctor, I want to ask you a question. It's really, I'm really struck by your personal journey. I'm really struck by what I, what I like to think about is perseverance with passion. You know, you're a pioneer uh, in a technique, a protocol. Um, you've activated a 20-year-old imagery technology. We're talking a little bit about it today. Really short interview. Um, you are someone that we call a champion 
for those of us that don't even know what to fight for. You're that person. And I'm so blown away by your personal journey. Because whenever somebody like you or like me, we take on a life path, there's always an incredible story. What was it for you? What was it for you that motivated you to change the entire landscape of this for the rest of us? Uh, Yes, it was uh, something very personal. Um, I was a very young doctor. I was in my training at that time. And back in 2010, my husband suffered a traumatic brain injury and uh, he had a motorcycle accident and uh, he was wearing a helmet. He had all the protective gear on, but unfortunately, uh, he did not uh, survive that accident. And um, after that, I just uh, um, just wanted to be around patients and treat the patients who had suffered a traumatic brain injury. That's why I went ahead and did my advanced, um, um, advanced training or fellowship training in neurological critical care. And when I was treating patients in neuro ICU, I further realized that many of these patients were discharged from hospitals and emergency departments with no real access to specialized outpatient care. And that was very much needed for the treatment and care of these uh, patients. Seeing this, I decided to uh, start uh, my outpatient practice, which is now called National Brain Injury Institute back in 2018. And uh, since then here at NBII, we are consistently striving to raise awareness on the chronic nature of this condition that impacts the personal, professional, and social aspects of patients on a daily basis. I want to ask you this question. I know these are short interviews, but I really do want to ask you a little bit more about the uh, the diffusion uh, tensor imaging and about this. We have seen in the headlines for a while the critical nature of sports and head injuries in sports. And then all of a sudden, doctor, it died down. You know, it was like there it was in the headlines and then it wasn't. But it didn't go away. And what I what I'm really fascinated by is what you're talking about. I'm so sorry to hear about your husband, because those of us that do wear helmets, when we get banged around a little bit, we don't think it's seriously enough. And nine times out of 10, even when we go get imagery or x-rays or whatever that is, things don't show up. So won't this now and what you're doing really shine a light on some of the injuries that are hidden in there and some of the side effects that just don't get picked up in time? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And let me first start explaining uh, about the brain. Uh, The brain is like the consistency of an egg yolk or like a jelly-like material. And it's enclosed into this uh, cranial vault or cranial cavity or the bone that is called the skull. So if any time the brain, which is a jelly-like material, it is thrown around or have jarring forces um, or violent jolting of the brain inside the skull, there will be uh, damage to the millions of neurons. There will be tearing and shearing of the millions of neurons and exons of the brain cell, which and there will be also soft tissue damage to the brain yeah. cells. Yeah. And as a result of this, this damage, this damage is happening at the microscopic level. Right. So we are not able to see this damage at the, in the MRI or in the CT scan. We need something much more advanced than MRI or CT scan to look at this microscopic damage. And that advanced uh, imaging technique in diffusion tensor imaging. Uh, And this imaging technique has enabled us to see the damage that we were not 
able to see before. And too often, patients with true traumatic brain injury are erroneously dismissed because of negative MRI scans or negative CT scans. And it is very crucial to do a diffusion tensor imaging scan for patients or people who have suffered a traumatic brain injury because it can clearly demonstrate that damage exists and it is instrumental in providing the targeted treatment, rehabilitation, and the future care for the patients with TBI. Yeah, I, I, I can't talk to you enough about how important this is. Before we run out of time, please tell people how they can find out more. Because one of the things I want to come back and, and, and talk to you about is the impact of this on children. But how can people find out more? Please give them your website. This is such an innovation yeah. and breakthrough. Absolutely. I totally agree with you that uh, uh, with diffusion tensor imaging, uh, as I said, we are able to look at the brain at the microscopic level. We are able to identify the damage that is happening at the microscopic level. We are able to demonstrate it and we are able to make our treatment uh, uh, tailored according to the damage that we are looking inside the brain. Uh, people can go and uh, get more uh, information about us from our website, which is www.nationalnationalbii.com, or they can call us toll free at 866-983-3167. And I want to, I want people to know this for a couple of reasons, doctor. And I know you've got to run. One of the reasons that I find it's most important is uh, you have children, right? So you understand, we understand from our children and how active they are and what they're participating in. And they are in physical contact a lot. So this technology, this is something that people and parents and grandparents should be ultimately aware of, correct? Absolutely. Um, and as I said, the awareness starts at everyday American level, right? Yeah. Uh, we cannot just depend on medical providers that, okay, you know, when someone goes to the emergency room or when someone goes to urgent care or yeah. primary care doctor, they will be able to identify it. No, the awareness and the education starts at everyday American level, and that includes the parents of the children, that includes the friends and families, that includes the grandparents of the children, mm -hmm. for them to screen their children or family members if they suspect a traumatic brain injury. Right. And then if they suspect a traumatic brain injury, then they, they are the ones that they first come in contact with such patients and they should be able to mm -hmm. direct them for appropriate care and treatment. Thank you so very, very much. What you're doing is instrumental, but it's also innovative in changing the landscape to not just save lives, but to save the quality of life. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you very much for having me. I you appreciate bet. it. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Good News segment. I love these interviews. I'm so excited to have Fred Litwin joining me here today, the author of several books. But this book in particular, I was really eager to, uh, e eager to talk with him about. All of us that have grown up in different parts of the 60s, and even if you haven't, you have had parents that talk about President John F. Kennedy. You've heard and seen movies everywhere. Every kind of theory about what happened, what didn't happen, where it happened, who it happened to. My mom had her own theory. But I will tell you this. One of the things I know, and I know one of the things we're going to talk about today, but there are a lot of people that in public figure that died in my mom's life. And I've never seen her cry as much as she has cried about the death 
of um, Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, and Marilyn Monroe. But what is it about what we don't know that still haunts us? Um, hey, thank you for joining us here today in the show. What do you think about what I'm saying? I mean, what do you think about my mom just bawling her eyes out for like a really long time? And is well, it John, because yeah. we don't know? Well, John, first off, John F. Kennedy was young. He was an incredible, uh, charismatic president who gave people a lot of hope. And so his assassination affected people greatly around the world. Fred, well, I, I want to ask why you're, you're, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I want to ask you this question, Fred. I mean, underneath someone like you and someone like me, we love to do our research underneath there. Something touched your heart to say, I need to investigate this. I need to talk about this. And more importantly, I really want to write about it. What got your attention? It was when the Zapruder film was played on national television on the Geraldo Rivera show in 1975. And when I saw the Zapruder film and the fact that JFK's head goes back and to the left with the fatal headshot, it convinced me back then that there was a conspiracy and it set me into motion to research exactly what had happened. And that was, uh, that was, uh, that was a long time ago. That was 40, you know, over 40 years ago. Yeah. But just like many of us, we were struck by that image. That will be forever embedded. And off you went yeah. on this journey, right? I'm sorry, what? And, and off you went on this journey. Yeah, I went off this journey and I basically spent yeah. 45 years of looking, looking for the truth. And uh, after many, many years, finally realizing that Oswald was the lone gunman, did it by himself. I wrote my first book on the case uh, three years ago. And uh, now my second book is on Jim Garrison who is the, uh, the DA who prosecuted Clay Shaw in the movie JFK. You know, isn't it interesting what we can do with an event in our history, in our lives, and left up to our own device about what we want to believe, we will create a theory around it. I mean, I can't imagine that your journey and what you're revealing in the book um, it has got to be met with various opinions. What is it that you find people want to believe? And how does your book, your discovery, say, wait a minute, there's some real data here? People can use the JFK assassination as sort of the Rosetta Stone to explain any political viewpoint you want. If you want to blame the CIA, you can use the, the JFK assassination as your tool uh, into explaining why the CIA is what it is. If you want to blame the military industrial complex, if you want to blame Castro, if you want to blame the Russians, whoever you want to blame, whatever your pet political theory, you can use the JFK assassination to buttress your viewpoint. And the problem, so many people don't like my books is I'm saying that there's no conspiracy. All of you are wrong. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did it by himself. Uh, you'll have to deal with it. So how do people find out, first of all, uh, where your book is, how to get your book? Because you've put a lot of time and energy into this and also how to find out more about you, Fred. Um, just go to my website, www.onthetrailofdelusion.com, all one word. And you'll find reviews, where to buy my book. Uh, I have a daily blog with a lot of additional information that's not in my book. Um, all there. It's a great website on the trailofdelusion.com. 
Um, I want to talk to you about one of the highlights in the book that I flagged that I really looked at. You know, my dad, uh, as many dads, uh, grew up with the Russian factor. And what do I mean by that? Uh, Growing up where we thought communism was going to take over the world, your parents build bunkers in their house. Um, Even today, we still have that factor in our society. We're still looking for what role they play. But you also talk about this in your book. You talk about Russia, Russian misinformation. I think we think about it happening now, but I don't think yep. we realize that, wait a minute, did it happen back then? And it did. And uh, Russian misinformation, there were like at least three different operations the Russians perpetrated to make the American population believe that the CIA was behind the assassination. In my current book, I detail the operation where they planted stories in an Italian communist newspaper after Clay Shaw was arrested to blame the CIA and to, and to make it sound like Clay Shaw was a CIA operative. It was all false, and that, that, that story traveled from the communist press into the mainstream press in the United States and Canada. Um, I, too, was struck by the many movies. I definitely was struck by the Oliver Stone movie. Uh, I was also really struck by the fact that, especially coming from where I come from, a survivor of Stonewall out of the village, I was struck yep. by the whole Clayshore character, a gay man. And yep. I, I'm just like, how did that even get in the film? I mean, what the heck was that about? To this day, I don't understand it. But I think your book shines some light on this. It's a very sad thing. Clay Shaw was a World War II hero. He was a great man in New Orleans, widely admired. And unfortunately, Jim Garrison accused him of conspiring to kill Kennedy and ruined his life. Uh, And what makes it worse is that Oliver Stone made Clay Shaw the villain in his movie JFK. It's absolutely despicable what they did to Clay Shaw. Uh, I was struck by that probably more than most. You know, I talked to my friends about it and I said, my God, this is homophobia at its, uh, well, homophobia at its finest, homophobia as the worst effect on our society. And I'm, yep. I'm really struck by how quickly in this particular scenario, by the way, this is one scenario. I believe this goes on all the time, but I was struck by how quickly we can damage an individual's life. And Yet, on the other hand, let those that are really guilty of something really slip by. You know, what, are you, what is your hope for your book? Because it's a fascinating read, but also you really try to right some wrongs. And, and, and thank you for doing that. Well, Jim Garrison ruined a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And it shows the problem of having any public official, but a district attorney who is a conspiracy theorist, is a is just a that is mm. a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh, any public official who is a conspiracy theorist is you're going to have trouble, um, as we well know. And so I just think that, uh, and unfortunately in this case, uh, there was homophobia right at the center of, of yeah. the case all the way through it. They're looking gay. They 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 went through the gay community like crazy, looking yeah. for informants, conspirators. People were scared of Garrison's investigators because they knew that the slightest. Uh, a visit could could implicate them in something and and uh, they could lose their job. I mean it's just just horrific what it was a reign of terror in New Orleans for the gay community. And you know that's the side of this debacle 
that nobody really wants to talk about. And I, and I want to ask you this question, and, and, and I just don't want to make this last point on this. This happens over and over and over and over in history to the gay community, just like it happens over and over and over and over again to the people of color communities. Um, but there's no coming back from something like this. When you're targeted, when you're talked to, there are things that happen that totally ruin you. Um, are we still having repercussions from this investigation, from the Jim Garrison era, so to speak? Well, we're, we're having repercussions in, in that full restitution of the name of Clay Shaw has not happened. No. And you still have Oliver Stone out there pushing not only the movie, but he's made a new documentary series that will be coming out sometime shortly that will again uh, push Jim Garrison as the hero who tried to solve the case. Um, there's lessons here, and the sad fact is that not only did was Clay Shaw's life ruined, but it was ruined twice. Um, and and he, we still don't understand just what a hero this man was. Um, so I tried to right some wrongs. There were other people who were also deeply hurt by Jim Garrison. Uh, it was, you know, I mean, one man, Carlos Bringuer, his wife had a miscarriage because she was so worried that he was going to be arrested by Garrison. Yeah. Um, these are horrible stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this play over and over and over again, the Atl the Atlanta bomber. We have watched yep. uh, that gentleman get accused wrongly. Um, and, uh, you, you know, people feel like they have nothing to do in, in the book on the trail of delusion. Right. You know, Jim Garrison, the great accuser. I, I want to ask you this. I know this is a short interview, but I want to ask you this for people listening. What were some of the ahas even for you? Like. You know, I know you entered this like a researcher, very methodical about this. But even so, those of us that are researchers, we get to a point where we say, what? That? Do you have any of those? Yeah. yeah well, I think when you go through the gar internal garrison documents, the memos he was writing, he was writing and his staff was writing to each other. You start going through them and you said, my God, this is a crazy memo. This is just crazy. How could they believe this? Memo after memo of, of sheer nonsense, of craziness. Um, it just strikes you. I started putting them aside. I collected over 150 what I considered to be utterly crazy memos. That really struck me. And what, other, what also struck me was he investigated the assassination for over two years and didn't find anything. He didn't find anything at all of substance. And that I find really, really striking. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and yet the argument became convincing. The, the the destruction of people's lives were never repaired, and we continue to do things like this. What is your greatest hope for bringing this, not, it's not a message, but bringing this factual expose to the forefront? Well, I'm hoping to, to show people that it's, it's kind of fun to believe in some conspiracy theories, and you could have mm -hmm. fun and do research. But in the end, some of them can be very, very damaging. And in this case, it shows the practical damage, the real damage that was done to people's lives yeah, from boy. people who believe in some of this nonsense. Uh, you know what? We're living it right now, just to be honest with you right there, Fred. Um, yep. And we don't really realize how it happens. You know, I went through a period when I went back to school in the 90s, right? I had lost my job, went back to school. I went for a doc doctorate, but I went in California 
And I found myself in the middle of studying and my professors using O.J. Simpson trial as a case study, a really long case study. And I recall those moments where really smart people, really smart people in a room, right, studying to get a couple of letters on the back of their name were so convinced on both sides and so believed in facts that weren't facts. What is your message, Fred, for us in search of the truth? Well, you know, my message is, look, really do do deep research and really use reason, logic. Uh, Does it make sense what you believe in? Does this fit the facts? Is this the simplest explanation? Occam's razor, very, very important. We have to get back to understanding logic and reason um, so we can combat some of these extreme conspiracy claims and make sure people don't go through rabbit holes uh, and lose their better part of their lives investigating nonsense. I got to tell you, for those people that are just tuning in, Fred Litwin, if you read his book, it really, for me, it's a real cliffhanger as I went through it. The other thing I'm really impressed by, Fred, is that not only do you write things, but you have exhibits in here. You have memos in here. You have headlines in here. I don't even know where you got all this stuff from. You have quotes in here, literally things people have said in, in writing and other other places. I can't even imagine how long this took you to put together. What's next? What's going to come next from Fred Litwin? Uh, people should go to my website, www.onthetrailofdelusion.com, all one word. And you could find details of how to buy my book, my daily blog, which has a lot more information that's in my book, pictures, uh, you name it. It's all on my blog. It's all there, uh, www.onthetrailofdelusion.com. And I got to tell you, out of all the books I've gotten, I've never seen a book come across my desk that had as many detailed sources and resources as you've put together in this. Um, Fred, what's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? Well, I I just I I want everybody to to take the message that don't go down that route. Don't get obsessed with conspiracy theory. Uh, That life is beautiful. There's lots of great things to do. Play the guitar, learn a language. Do something constructive. Don't spend your time researching 9-11 conspiracy theories. Thank you, Fred. And by the way, I know your next interview is waiting. Thank you for hanging on with me. And I'm just going to be reading parts of this from different places throughout my show. Thank you, Fred. Thank you very much. Are you ready to become toxic person proof? Hey guys, Sarah K. Ramsey here to help you find love and success after a toxic relationship so you can design a life you're actually excited about living. Hello, wonderful. It is Sarah and you're about to hear an interview with me and Jamie, who is all things intuition, strength. She's really big into the strength finder test, which the reason I, one of the reasons I got her in this journey with me is because so many of you after a toxic relationship have completely disconnected from your strengths. The toxic person told you you didn't have any strengths. Your strengths were used against you. You were made to think your strengths were your weaknesses and it can really matter you up. 
So we're going to have a conversation about something called the Strength Finder Test, which you can give it a Google and check it out. It's very easy to, to see. And one of the things that's really important in this conversation I want you to notice is the difference in strength and values. Okay. So your values are who you are and your strengths are how to make things happen, right? Uh, so if your value is to champion a certain cause, let's say um, save the orphans, okay? Uh, maybe your strength would be, I'm a great fundraiser. So I help fundraise money to save the orphans or your strength may be a caregiver. So then you actually take care of the orphans or your strength could be something with building, which is definitely not on the strength finder test, but you get the idea, you know, something with building or organization. So you could help build an orphanage and you see how the value would be to help the orphans and your strength can take different avenues of how you accomplish your goal, how you align that value. And after a toxic relationship, it's easy to get lost. I wonder who you are, wonder who you are, maybe outside of being a wife, outside of being a girlfriend, outside of being a mother. And you got to figure out that again. If you get stuck into people pleasing, what are your values? Making everyone else happy is, is a pretty unfortunate goal that probably has not worked for you, right? <laughs> so Jamie and I talk about these things, talk about intuition. She's definitely into yoga and she owns Be Your Best Self and Thrive Counseling. So of course, uh, I'm pretty much into being your best self after being in a toxic relationship, uh, too. So that's what led us this conversation. But I really want you to hear what she says about you do have strengths. How do we reconnect with those? She's giving you some very specific tools of how to connect with those. Take the Strength Finder 2.0 test. Figure out what you are. Google a sheet on values, value words. Print it off. Circle around. Okay, this is my values. My value is helping others. My value is um, telling the truth. My value is staying organized. My value is being on time. My value is whatever it is. This is what I value. This is who I want to be outside of a relationship, outside of being a mother, outside of my job, outside of whatever else is going on in your life that may or may not have fallen apart after the toxic relationship. And it is your job to put yourself back together and put yourself back together in a better be your best self version, a bounce back better version of you. Who knows your uh, values and uses your strengths to create a life around those values and no longer ignores your intuition, which we're gonna talk about intuition. I want you to hear what she says about intuition, getting trauma out of your body, reconnecting, grounding with yourself so you can be your best self. Not only, you know, this is not a oh, lifetime healing and wounds last forever. This is an upgraded version of yourself even before the relationship. Because it's not about healing from the relationship. That, that's the first piece of the puzzle. But we want to grow into the best version of you. Because when we're healing... We're always healing from something. When we're growing, we're growing towards something. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, wonderful. It is Sarah Kate Ramsey, and I'm here with Jamie Molnar. Say hello, Jamie. 
Hi, everyone. <laughs> and we are going to talk all things intuition, getting to know yourself, and all that jazz. So, Jamie, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Yes. Um, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me here today. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and yeah, so I, um, I, am, I am a licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a registered yoga teacher and a um, Gallup certified strengths finder coach. And so I am just very passionate about uh, mind, body, spirit, living, mind, uh, mental well-being, uh, just finding your passion and purpose in life and living in a way that feels authentic and real and honest and purposeful. And so I have two businesses. I have a group counseling practice in Florida, in St. Pete, Florida, uh, where we specialize in mind, body, spirit approaches to mental health. Uh, and so we provide services to individuals, teens, couples, and families, um, both online and in person to anyone in Florida. And then my other business is online where I provide cult consulting, mentorship, and coaching. And there I really focus on helping healers, empaths, and highly sensitive people uh, learn how to prioritize themselves so they can continue making an impact on the world. So that's, yeah, that's where a lot of my ladies get uh, caught up. And I want to ask you your um, straight finder too, like uh, what your um, top five are. Uh, and you can guess what mine are since <laughs> I know how I'll make you guess. But I love that conversation. And I, I sunk into strength finders, right? When I was in like, I guess I was like in my early thirties and I had taken piano forever. I was a piano major in my undergrad. And I remember thinking I was going to take guitar lessons. And then I, there was a quote that came across right before I get into strength finders. And it said, no one paid, we talk about working on our weaknesses and there's some components to that. Right. But people don't pay you for your weaknesses. They pay you for your strengths. Interesting. And I decided not to take guitar lessons and take piano lessons again, even though I'd had 25 years of piano lessons. Right. Um, and that is a big piece. And when I talk to my ladies talking about your strengths being used against you. Right. And how to use those strengths to launch you forward. Yes. Going, right? So I didn't even know that about you, about the strength finder thing. So that's, <laughs> even, that's even my intuition was picking up on you being uh, uh, the lady to talk to for my ladies. Um, <laughs> Love it. Exactly, exactly. So what is your, um, you know, what are a couple of your high strengths on the strength finder? So I, yeah, because I'm a coach, I'm really passionate about the strength finder test. and Oh yeah, I love it. And so we have this process called name it, claim it, and aim it. And so naming it is when you take the test and you kind of learn your strengths. Claiming it is when you really own what your strengths are. And then aiming it is when you learn how to master them to really move forward in your life. And so part of claiming it for me is having my strengths in my email profile and, you know, just kind of available all the time. So my top five strengths are individualization, competition, harmony, restorative, and futuristic in that order. Um, and so I feel like that really, I really identify with that. When I took the test, I was like, yes, that is me. <laughs> and um, yeah, so those are my strengths. And um, I think it's just a great test for people that are wanting to learn how to harness the power of their raw talent 
um, and funnel that into really productive ways. So what happens and in so many women's lives um, is that it's like, oh, where do I go from here? What do I do? What are my strengths? How do I leverage them? What should I do next? Right. And it becomes this like ping pong back and forth in our minds. Right. Right. Um, and when you come across a woman uh, or a man, right. Who, who is going through that, uh, what is your advice to them? So someone that is, you know, trying to figure out, you mean who they are and their strengths and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, where, yeah. what do you go? Where do you go from here? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, when someone is kind of trying to figure out their life path or purpose and, you know, who they are, what are their talents, right? They're kind of like, what do I do? I don't even know. I like to talk about coming back to your core values, coming back to your holistic vision for your life, um, really starting to come back to the foundational pieces, um, tools that will help you establish those things and name those things for yourself. Um, because that would give you a better idea of what professional track you want to go down, um, what sort of social life that you want, right? So really understanding your core values, your holistic vision for your mental state, your physical state, financial state, right? Like the eight dimensions of wellness. That's a tool that I love when people are trying to figure out who they are. Um, it's called the wellness wheel and you can Google it. Yale has my favorite version. Um, and so, yeah, there's eight different dimensions of wellness and we need to be really think about like, what do I want for my life as a whole? How do I want to live? Who do I want to be? What do I do in my day to day? Who is in my life with me? Um, and that start gives that like foundational vision then gives us an idea of what those individual, more specific action steps we need to take to get there. That very much aligns with, uh, in my Wondrous Woman program, we talk about designing a life you're excited about living. Yes. And, and yes. And, and scoring yourself on work, scoring yourself on play, scoring yourself on health, scoring yourself on love. And then imagining, well, what do you want? Uh, where, where do you want to go? So, and I love what you talked about going back to your core values. Yes. Okay. Um, and I would love for you to use me as an example, if, if you might, because I'll tell you my strength finders and then you can probably maybe like if I was your client, like what you would tell me about my core values or what I needed to go from here. Would that be okay? Yeah, totally. Okay. So interestingly enough, um, is it activator? Is that yes. one? Yeah. Okay. That was not even anywhere on my spectrum before I began this work. Okay. But now... I get women out of indecision into action. So it crept up and is now my number one, but it did not start off that way <laughs> because I was not an action taker. I had to learn to become an action taker and now it aligns everything that I do. Um, so woo in uh, communication uh, input, and I can't remember my fifth one input. I was surprised, but I collect information I have a master's degree in research, right? So I collect information. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it may have been individualization, maybe. Interesting. I can't remember. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember my fifth one. So you can go my top four. That should be, that should be enough info. Uh, so if I come to you and I know I'm a good communicator, I know I care about other people, I know I like to collect information 
And I know that I like to win others over Yes, and get active in my life. Um, how would you align that to me helping me figure out who I am, my core values, what to go, where to go from here? So it's interesting. So like, for me, there are two different tools that help you get to a, um, a place of purpose and passion, right? So your strengths are understanding your raw talent. So the 34 strengths that we have, there's actually groups, several different talents that are like, say, woo, right? Like you win others over. There's mm-hmm. several different kind of raw talents that fall under that woo, but it's been categorized as woo. So learning, you know, your top five strengths gives you an idea of like what the raw talent is that you have. And then you can start looking at ways to um, channel that or use that to achieve the goals that you have for yourself. The core values are more about that internal driving like light, right? Like that light inside that you always come back to that is guiding every step that you take in your life that is reminding you of who you are and what you're working towards. So when you have to make a decision about something, you come back to that core value and say, does this align or does it not? Right. And if it doesn't, then I remove that from my life or I don't do that. So there are two different tools, but they help both tools help us get where we want to go. So how do you help someone figure out um, that core value of who they are. Uh, yeah. If I may, in that situation, when you were saying that, it's like, yes, my core value is to make the world a better place, change people's lives. So I use woo, winning others over or communicating as tools in my toolbox, I think is what you're saying, to to accomplish that goal. Is that kind of? Yes. So your, your values are like your guiding light. And your strengths are the tools or the actions that like that you use to to get what where you want to go. Yeah. So to yeah. For the core values, I actually have a very specific worksheet that I use with my clients, where they um, have to identify their top ten values, um, and then all the way down to their one core value. So this is something that I do every year around New Year's. Um, along with my vision board. So I identify the one core value for that year that is guiding everything that I say and do. So that word is always with me. I always know um, that energy. I'm always paying attention to that. And then my strengths are things that I'm aware of in my interactions and the actions that I take. Like, am I using you know, my individualization in a way that aligns with my values? Am I using it to get to goals that align with my value, right? So it's a specific worksheet that I use to help folks do that. So Um, basically just like, I mean, for someone listening, it's like, okay, do I just like name, like list out the 10 things that are important to me and then circle the most important one or... Yeah. So I would recommend, so there's a lot of different tools on the um, website that people, uh, uh, excuse me, on Google that you can look up. Um, There's like sheets, you know, with uh, just lists of words that are core values. And so I would recommend checking out something like that, like Googling that, finding a list of words and then circling, you know, 10 to 20 of them and then honing in on what feels maybe the most aligned for you that year. Okay. I feel like mine is growth and it's always growth. I'm like a growth junkie a bit, but you know, as a life coach, it it, it aligns well. Um, but yeah, I I love that. I, I love that idea and just kind of what stands out to you the most. 
So how does intuition, because I know you do a lot of work with that too. I don't mean to get way off topic, but it's all aligned, right? And so, yeah, tell, talk to us how intuition and knowing yourself, um, let's enter the word intuition into our conversation as we talk about knowing ourselves a bit more. So intuition is really that like, that voice inside, that energy inside that is connected to the divine around us. So I very much believe that we are part of a greater energy and we are, we call it the collective and Jungian psychology. It's, you know, the collective, it's the collective unconscious. We're all tapped into this energy, whether we want to be or not. Um, and we're connected to each other. We're connected to nature. We're, we're, we're so connected. And that that energy guides us and we guide it. And so intuition is really being able to touch deep, deep inside into that like gut reaction, that gut um, voice that tells us what is right and what is not for us in our lives. And the mind body connection really helps guide that. So learning how to tune into your body and how your body feels in reaction to situations or decisions, right? Um, what sort of aches and pains do you get? What sort of good feelings do you get? Um, really learning how to tune in, to go inside and really hear yourself and your divine presence that's in there, you know, already existing. Uh, I think a lot of us lose touch with that when we're so distracted by the external world, um, by the media, by what other people are doing, by the shoulds that we have in our head. I should be doing this or I should be here by 40 or I should be doing this by 60, right? Like we have all these external influences that um, sometimes manipulate our thinking process or um, guide it in the wrong direction. And so being intuitive is learning how to tune all of that out and really go inside to get the answers that you seek. So what advice would you give to a female who had been really ignoring that piece, right? And my listeners, they would say, I ignored a lot of red flags. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you make friends with your intuition again after that? Yeah, well, I think part of that is you you haven't totally ignored her because she gave you red flags, right? <laughs> so yes, I, that's really important to point out. Yeah, I say you picked up on it, you just ignored it. Those are two yes. different sets of problems. Yeah, two totally different things. So your intuition may be very strong. The question is, am I listening? And if you're not listening, the question is why. What has happened in your life that led you to not trust yourself? Because that's what it comes down to. Do you fully trust yourself in your decisions? And a lot of women, because of all these external influences, stop trusting themselves and start asking everyone else to make those decisions or um, figure things out for them. And so we have to learn how to really trust ourselves and trust in the universe, right? Even if we're not sure why this decision feels right and everybody else is telling us no, but we know deep down for some reason I'm supposed to take this left turn, trusting in that and trusting in the universe that whatever is meant to happen is going to happen. You may not know exactly how or why, but trusting that the that it's going to happen. And that's a hard leap of faith to take. And that's why we tend to go to other sources. And I'm sad every time I ignore it and I'm happy every time, you know, and what I tell, what I tell my ladies is 
you don't have all the data yet. Yes. But if you wait to have all the data to make the decision, it's already too late. You're done. You're done, right? You know, in most of my things, it's about relationships. Like, I just felt like something was off with him. I just felt like something, you know, and then it's like, well, three years later, you know what was off, but you could have picked up on it in the yeah. first three weeks versus the first three years. Um, so yeah, I love that point about you just didn't listen to it. <laughs> that was great. Uh, yeah. What other, some other conversations around intuition or making friends with your intuition again? So again, I come back to that mind-body connection, like, okay, if you sensed, so for example, you just said like, uh, you gave the example of like uh, one of your clients who said, I, I had some, I just had this feeling in the beginning, you know, that something wasn't right. What was that feeling, right? Like, was it something in the pit of your stomach? Was it, a ch- was it in your chest? Was it um, like in your lower back? Like, where did you feel that in your body to know something's not right? Um, our body is such a, an important data center for us and we don't always listen. So just remember that your issues are in your tissues and your body everything you need to know if you're willing to listen. I agree. Um, I really do. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, learning to develop a better relationship with your body, learning how to tune into what sensations you're feeling in different situations. And another important part of developing intuition is taking time to yourself to process what comes up. So whether that's through journaling, through therapy, through life coaching, through um, meditation, right? All of these introspective practices are really important for honing in on your intuition and really developing that skill. I'm a huge fan of journaling. I actually do a lot of my processing through dream work, and I have an analyst that I work with for that. Um, so it's figuring out which tool you need to help um, process all the data you're collecting and using that. And I know you're a yogi, as most people who study intuition are, right? So I yeah. feel like yin yoga, I, I love power yoga too, but yin yoga, I mean, the times I would get on the mat and cry, yeah, right? And just where I slowed down, it was one of the few processes that I would actually allow myself to slow down enough yes. to get that trauma out of my body. I know that's not the only way to do it or, you know, but what are some other, um, you know, we, th- we, we typically think about talk therapy, you know, even MD- EMDR, some of those things, but what, you know, when you strengthen that, we, when we've had bad experiences, we kind of leave our body. Yeah. Um, how, what are some strategies to come back to our bodies to reconnect to that intuition? So I think your greatest tool, um, no matter who you are and like how disconnected you feel is your breath. Um, Your breath is your connector to your body. So really learning how to pay attention to how you're breathing and starting to integrate breath practice into your daily routine, because your breath is what helps you regulate your nervous system. Your breath is what tells you um, how fast or how slow you're breathing and what's going on in your body. So your breath helps you ground. So when we feel disconnected or like we're, we're not really present, the breath brings us right back to the present, right? Because we're breathing in the here and the now. This was sustaining life in the moment. So practicing breath work is my number one tool for anyone that's struggling with 
um, being connected to themselves and um, wanting to ground more frequently. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. Um, and we've covered so much. I want to kind of recap. <laughs> so, um, you have strengths. If someone has told you you don't have strengths, that is a lie. You have strengths. A great resource for f- reconnecting with those strengths is the Gallup Strengths Finder test. Yes. And I have done it personally myself many years. Um, awesome way to connect with those strengths. Um, then, uh, give them a quick uh, recap of the strengths versus, did you call it values where it was like who you are? So your core values and your strengths. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 I kind of give them a recap of that is so we can uh, make sure they remember yes. their, their take home tools. Yeah. So the strengths finder is a person is a personality inventory. There's many like the Enneagram and the human design, right? The MBTI, these are all great tools we can use to better understand ourselves. Our core values are our guiding principles, our guiding light for everything that we do. So there are two great tools to help us rediscover our path and take action so that we can get where we want to go. Awesome. And um, Google that worksheet with value words and circle that and, and highlight your favorite. I love that's such an easy, you know, five minute, 10 minute activity to, to get yeah. to know ourselves, right? So easy. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and then um, coming back into our intuition, coming back into our body, um, yeah. trusting that intuition. Uh, what, what was the phrase you said? Uh, the, the data is in the tissue. The, the issues are in your tissues. <laughs> issues are in your tissues. Yes. Um, and not in your tissues beside your bed that you're crying into. And in the tissues of, of your soul, of your body and, and reconnecting with that and recognizing that you hear it. And now just listening right? Yeah. You already heard it. Now we just have to listen to it. Uh, any, any last minute things, um, to last minute message? Yeah. I would just love your ladies to know that the divine feminine is always with you. You know, everything you, you have all the power within. I want you to truly believe in that and trust in yourself. And when you do, the world will open up to you. So just trust me when I say, You have everything you need already inside. So believe in yourself, trust in yourself. Know, know that it will be okay. And did you, like, even when I asked her about how to get rid of trauma, she didn't say electric shock therapy. She said, come back to the breath, (laughs) right? I mean, that's such a great example of it's already in you. Yes. Right. Uh, Coming back to you, coming back to your breath and not letting anyone talk you out of who you are and who you should be. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks for, thanks for coming in chatting intuition yes thank you so much for having me and i hope everyone found value in what i shared today and i'm happy to always of course answer questions if anyone has any feel free to reach out to me anytime awesome and i'll post your info in the show notes awesome awesome have a great day thank you Hello, wonderful. This is Sarah, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I know that there was something that you can take away to help you get past the past, get real about the present, or get serious about your future. And if I did my job, then hopefully it will help you with all three. If you are not in my Facebook group, 
finding love and success after a toxic relationship, then consider this your personal invitation from me. I'm there live, there's tons of support, and most importantly, tons more information to help you on your journey to become toxic person proof.